I think it is. Yep. Yours is on. Yours isn't. <laughs> I'm using I gotta spread out. I like a lot of books and stuff. <laughs> it has been so good. So deep. A lot deeper than I thought it, we were going to go, for sure. And um, so we've been tabled here. <laughs> and um, we just want to get into, <laughs> um, into the Word a little bit on our position in prayer and what that looks like. But I really want to start in a place that you normally wouldn't. I want us to go to Ezekiel 37. And um, how many of you know Jesus is coming? Yes. And Jesus is coming soon. It's like you can almost see that finish line. And when we would watch the kids run in their cross-country meets or in their track meets, as soon as that finish line is in view, like you, that's not when you give up. That's not when you get distracted. That's not when you slow down. That's when you get really concentrated. Amen. You punch in that effort. You run faster. You speed up. You feel the most uncomfortable that you have during the whole race. And that's one thing that Allie's swim coach told her. You know the only way to swim faster? Is to swim, swim faster. faster. <laughs> you just do it. You make a decision to do it. And he followed it up with saying you have to be okay with feeling uncomfortable. And you have to be okay with the pain that comes with that. It's going to be worth it for the win. And I feel like that's where we're at in this kind of moment in time is that we can see that finish line and it's getting a little bit uncomfortable because you have to, the closer you get to the finish line, you're like, you're shaking off every weight. Mm-hmm. And those, like Hebrews 12 says, set Amen. aside those sins and those weights that are holding you back so that you can finish and finish strong. And I feel like that's where we're at. And um, I just want to read in Ezekiel 37. We're going to start in verse 1. And it says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass round about among them, and behold, there were very many human bones in the open valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, oops, I went back to, that's the thing about technology, it turns your page. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath and spirit to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and I will put breath and spirit in you and you dry bones shall live. And you shall know, understand, and realize that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a thundering noise, and behold, a shaking and trembling and a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon the bones, and flesh came upon them, and skin covered over them, but there was no breath or spirit in them. And then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to the breath and the spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and spirit, and breathe upon these bones that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath and spirit came into the bones, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceedingly great host. And usually this isn't kind of the section of scripture you go to when you're talking about taking your position in prayer, but he really put this on my heart this morning, and verse 3 stood out to me when he told Ezekiel, or asked him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, uh... Uh, you know. Like, he didn't want to answer the question because naturally, the answer was no. Mm -hmm. Right? Naturally, the answer to that question is no. And then, in verses 9 and 10, he said, you speak to the Spirit and you tell the Holy Spirit to do something here. And that's a little bold. Right? Mm -hmm. Tell the Holy Spirit what to do. Speak to the Spirit and command it to come. And I just, as I was praying this morning on my swing, I just really felt like he is going to ask us to pray things. And he's going to ask us to say things, and he's going to ask us to speak things that naturally cannot happen. That we will think these could never happen. And yet he's looking for a people like Ezekiel who's not going to question and who are not going to answer naturally when he gives us something to speak or something to pray, who's going to be able to just say, "Uh, you know the answer to this. Put the words in my mouth. And that's all he did was he said, Ezekiel, say this. Say this. Say this. Go tell this to live. Go tell the Spirit to do this. Go tell this to happen. Go tell that to happen. And he's looking for a people who are going to pray bold prayers. Prayers that they don't understand. Prayers that they look at and think, this could never happen. But if God says it, then it can happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Right? Amen. But in order to pray these bold prayers, we need to know our authority. Mm-hmm. We need to know our position in prayer. We need to know that we can legally pray these things and God will do something. And we're going to give you just a tiny little crash course (laughs) in the authority of the believer. (laughs) Tiny little crash course. If you're looking for an extended course, Brother Hagen has one. It's available on Amazon. It's called Believer's Authority. (laughs) So if you're looking for a longer extended course on your authority and your position in prayer, that's a really good book to get. Mm -hmm. So we're going to give you a quick little crash course. Did you have anything to interject before no, you move on? No, go ahead. I just think about before you pray, just kind of like whenever I go into my kitchen before I make something, a lot of times it's not in the state where I can cook. I got to clean it mm-hmm. <laughs> before I mess it up. <laughs> and so I think about that with prayer. It's kind of good to have everything in order. And there's a couple points I have I'm going to leave the authority to you because that's a big one. I have just a couple small kind of areas to tend to so that you've got this clean, we're clean whenever we go into prayer. We can be more effective that way. A little checklist. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good because we were talking about it. I already know she's going to say. <laughs> but um, I want to go over to Ephesians 1 and we're going to look at our position in prayer because where you're sitting, it really matters. 
And um, this is part of what we call the epistle prayers. It's, there's several prayers that Paul prayed in the New Testament for the church and for the believers. And this is kind of smack in the middle of one of them. In verse 19 of Ephesians 1, it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible... Oh, wait, I want to read this out of the Amplified. Let me just go there real quick. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe, as demonstrated in the working of his mighty power, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now, whenever someone is seated at somebody's right hand, it's always talking about that as being a place of authority. So Jesus was seated at God's own right hand in the heavenly places. Everyone say heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. God has put all things under his feet and appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercised throughout the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. So in this little section of scripture, we see Jesus exalted to a place of authority, seated far above every principality and power and might and dominion that includes cancer and depression and strife and division and every spirit that can be named, every sickness that can be named, anything that has a name falls under the lordship of Jesus, right? Amen. Are we all seeing that there? Ephesians 2, 1. And you say, this means me. He made alive when you were dead by your trespasses and sins in which at what in time you walked habitually. You were following the course and fashion of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings, we were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. But, everyone say but. Don't you just love the but? (laughs) But God, so rich is he in his mercy because and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead by our shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. Verse 6, and he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with Christ in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. So where is Jesus sitting? 
at the right hand of the Father, in the seat of authority, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that can be named. So where are you sitting? Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Do you see that? Our position when we come into prayer is not under. Oh, I got to hold up this situation or I got to, it's on top of me. Ever feel like your mountain is weighing you down? Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt like under it? But God is really seated as over it. Mm-hmm. And so when we come into prayer, we don't want to come in in this low place where all mm-hmm. we see is the mountain. Have you ever been in that low place where all you see is the mountain and there really is not much hope around you? Mm-hmm. So if we're coming into prayer in the position of being seated at the bottom of our mountain or buried under our mountain, we're not sitting high enough. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have to go back to Thursday night, to that thing we talked about Thursday night, that place of abiding. Mm-hmm. Don't pray until you have confidence. Until you have confidence, pray. So we're not going to pray out this way to the mountain. We're not going to speak to the mountain. We're not going to pray for anything until we can get to the place where we're seated far above it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Most of that battle is right up here. Almost all of that battle is right up here in our mind. Mm -hmm. And so we have been given and seated in the same seat of authority that Jesus had. And what did he have authority over when he walked on this earth? Everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, weren't the disciples amazed even that he calmed the storm? Who is he mm-hmm. that he, even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, guess what? The waves and the wind, they still know his name. Mm-hmm. And if we know our place of authority and we use his name, then those storms that we face, they have to obey us. Mm-hmm. Amen? Do you see that? Amen. So we're not going to pray from a position of fear. Mm -hmm. If you're praying from a position of fear, then we're going to go back to the abiding kind of prayer. Because remember we said last night that the, was it last night? (laughs) They're all (laughs) running together. That if the mountain looks bigger than the mountain maker, Mm -hmm. then we need to get back into the place of abiding in the vine until we see him for as big as he is. So we don't want to pray from that place of fear. We want to pray from a place of faith. Mm-hmm. Anything? It's just a, a place of effectiveness. I mean, position matters just in a practical way where you are. You're, if you're doing a job, you're going to get close. You're going to get the things that you need, your tools, everything in front of you. And so this price that was paid for us to be raised up with Jesus was the greatest price the Bible says it was the greatest demonstration of power. So God made sure that this happened, this took place. And if we pray really from anywhere less than that, we're not going to be effective. He designed it to come from that place. Our position matters. It's good. Amen. All right, we're going to skip over to John 16 real quick and talk about just a couple little things about prayer. Um, this is... Obviously, John 13, 14, 15, 16, these are Jesus' last words to his disciples. And somebody's last words are generally their most important. If you're laying on your deathbed, you're not really likely to go tell your child your grocery list. 
<laughs> not going to give mm-hmm. them a to-do list. Get the laundry done. Don't forget to take the trash out. You're not going to waste your final moments those ways. You're going to impart to them some things of value that really are important to you. And so he's telling them, in a little while, you'll, you know, you see me now. In a little while, you won't see me. And then a little bit later, you will see me. And then I like what he says in verse 23 of John 16. He says, at that time, at that time meaning when we won't see him, Mm -hmm. at that time you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. And this is just kind of a little thing that he's telling them of major importance because when he walked on the earth with them, they didn't ask the Father for anything. Anytime they needed anything, they went straight to Jesus. Jesus. Mm -hmm. When their boat was sinking, who did they go to? Jesus. When they were hungry, who did they go to? Jesus. When they were confused, who did they go to? Jesus. And so this applies to us in this time. At this time that we live in, we don't ask anything from Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We're seated right there with him. We're his mouthpiece on on the earth. (laughs) And so when we pray, we're to ask the Father in the name of Jesus. And that would just be like me telling Alex, go tell Mookie, mom said, do this. And then Alex isn't going in his own authority. If Alex went by himself and told Mookie to clean the kitchen, Mookie would tell Alex to go take a fly and leave. (laughs) But if Alex goes and said, mom said, clean the kitchen, well, he knows that command's coming from the authority of mom. And if I don't get up and go do that, then I'm going to get in trouble. And so that's kind of the same picture. Using the name transfers that authority. Mm -hmm. When we're using the name of Jesus, it's as if Jesus were standing here saying it himself. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Anything? Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen. It's good. Um, I think part of that position, too, comes rest. And in Hebrews 4... It talks about faith being a rest, but I just think it's so interesting because one translation, I think it might be King James, says we need to labor or strive to get into rest. And so a lot of that fear comes with not knowing who we are. That's why it's so important to meditate on our position of authority and our place. But let's go there to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, starting with verse 9. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. And then verse 11 tells us, so let us do our best. That's where it says to strive or to labor, to enter into that rest, because if we don't do that, then we're not really praying from a a place of faith. I remind myself of this a lot, that God's at work, I'm at rest. This is what I'm doing. This is what he's doing because it it will tend to just pick back up that care. And really rest is an indicator that we're in faith. And Jesus said that we're to go through life light and easy. That's what it looks like. 
whenever we're yoked up with him. It's just light and easy. It's not that we're not taking things seriously. It's not that it might be a really, really grave situation, but we just know that he's greater. He's got it. And if he's at work, then we're not going to pick that back up. So it's just important to keep that perspective. I think there's just a couple little checklist things that we can go through and it makes us uh, way more effective. It's like having the right tools for the job. I like that, talking about that place of rest, because we can get into this um, mentality when we go to start praying for things of trying to really make it happen. Mm -hmm. And if I pray this long, and if I confess this much, and if I do all these things naturally, then I can make this happen. And Jesus even said, um, don't, what did he say? He said something really smart, and it was... In the back of my it's circling, it's going around and around. He said, oh, don't pray long. When did he talk about, and don't, remember like when the, he said, don't pray in front of people, yeah. don't do that, and then he's. That was when he was at the temple, and he was showing his disciples the two men that were praying. One was See, I'm not like this tax collector guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he made mention to, you don't have to pray long. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do these long, drawn-out prayers mm-hmm. to get an answer from God. And sometimes I think we're really working it, right. really working it in prayer. And yet on the flip side, Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. <laughs> so what does he mean? Are we supposed to pray long? <laughs> or are we sp- short? Or are we supposed to ask and keep on asking? Short or long? Short or or long? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. But you can tell if you're praying from a place of rest or if you're praying from a place of fear and feeling like you need to make it happen. And that's something really that's internal. I remember we were sitting here in a Sunday morning service and um, I had a word about somebody needing prayer for a bad report they got from the doctor. And this girl was sitting over on this side, and she stood up and came forward. And um, she had to go in the next day for a test to see if her pregnancy was viable. And she really didn't want to lose her baby. And on the inside, I was like, ooh, this is a big one. And God was like, I really can handle this. And so we, I called some other women up, and we laid hands on her. We prayed for her and sent her off. And then f- that day... The next day, the next day, (laughs) and the next day, I was really praying, God, you got to work in this situation. God, you got to intervene. God, and I really felt like I was doing something, contending for the word in this person's life, and I really was just trying to just hold God up there and make sure he had enough power to make this happen. You know what I mean? So I'm praying. You ever just pray like that fearful, oh my gosh, he's really going to do this. What if he doesn't do this? He's really got to do this. God, you got to do this. God, you got to do this. And I was in his face. And he goes, I really don't need your help. (laughs) I really don't need your help. What I really could use is your trust. I really could use your faith. And I immediately understood I'm not in faith here at all. I'm here trying to help hold God up. And he really had enough power to do it all. And she came back two weeks later and had a great report from the doctor. The pregnancy was viable. Everything was wonderful. Not because I helped God at all, but because... Because he really is big enough to do it himself. Yeah. So you really can tell if you're in that place of rest mm-hmm. or if you're in that place of, i got to make this happen. Mm-hmm. 
you could be great and then fall out of it with one thought. And that doesn't mean, well, you got to start all over. I mean, condemnation, I think about that where finally, finally think, okay, I got this. And then something comes up or maybe there's a different report or some interaction. It's a reminder, hey, this really is a bad situation. Well, you just make that adjustment again. Sometimes it's as simple as, Lord, I trust you. And I say that often, several times a day. You're at work. I'm at rest. This situation isn't mine to figure out. And I get to just trust you and have boldness and know that you're going to do it. And he does it. But we can't keep taking it back. <laughs> um, let's go to Mark uh, 11, 23 and 24. We'll start in 22. And remember, this is where Jesus cursed the fig tree. And um, he just really wants us to know, I believe today, that he's given us the power and the authority to do what he said to do. And it's not just something that we made up. It's something that he really has declared in his word. In verse 22, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. And another translation said, you have to believe that what you say is going to come to pass. And I tell you, you'll have whatever you say. You can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it will be yours. And so I really liked this verse together with Ezekiel, because here he's saying, and I'm sure it's blowing the disciples' minds, because he's telling them, if you say something that you know naturally can't happen, but believe that God can bring it to, or believe that what you say will come to pass, you're going to have it. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what he told Ezekiel. You say this thing that could not naturally happen because I spoke it. Of course, everything always comes back to 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Mm-hmm. You cannot go into prayer without knowing the will of God. Mm-hmm. And it always goes back to John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my mm-hmm. words abide in you, you can ask whatsoever you will and it will be done for you. First John five fourteen and 15 says, I'm trying to not turn to it. If you ask anything, yeah. this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. Mm-hmm. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have granted to us as our present possession those things that we've desired of him. Mm-hmm. And what's the underlying condition there? If we ask anything according to his will, well, what's his will? Mm-hmm. It's his word. Mm-hmm. It's what he speaks to us. And he's not ever going to speak anything to you apart from what his word says. And how you get to know the voice of God is by abiding in the vine. Mm -hmm. That's how you get to know his voice. That's how you get to know his character. That's how you get to know what he sounds like. That's how you get to know what he's going to say. Mm -hmm. And he's never going to say, go pray that this other woman's husband is going to be your husband. Because don't we know that that's against the word of God? Mm -hmm. So... But um, so when we know his word, we know his will. And he really wants us to get to the place that we're asking bold prayers. And I really want to just clarify, too, we can pray for things in our lives, and we can pray for our needs to be met, and we can pray for healing for ourselves. And he wants to meet our needs, and he wants to be provisional. But really the kind of prayer we've been talking about this week has to do with praying forth his will in the earth. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So when I'm talking about all these things today, of course, we can apply them to our lives and our needs and praying for those things too. But he's really looking for people who's going to pray and speak what he says to pray and speak for what's going on Mm -hmm. in our world today. And we have to know that we have the authority to be able to do that. We have to believe that what we say is going to pass come to pass when God says, pray for this leader and this is exactly what I want you to pray. Pray for this nation, speak this, speak this over your nation, speak that over your nation, and your mind might be reeling, that can't naturally happen, but if God said it, it will naturally happen. Mm -hmm. And we have to know it, or culture will always reign. Mm -hmm. And that's where he's going to come and tell you to send the rain on this community or send the rain over here. Pray for this person's heart over here. And your mind's going, that's not going to do anything. That's not going to change anything. They're never going to change because of what I see. And that's where he wants to get us to this deeper, higher realm of only saying and praying and speaking what he sees. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Culture can only reign when the church does not. But it's going to take bold, 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 deep prayers that blow our minds to really rock culture. Culture's pretty deep-rooted. But it's not more deep-rooted than the power of God can uproot. Amen. 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 You know, knowing the will of God, we can find His word is His will, and then we've got our relationship with Him and so we can know it, but we want to make sure that we're being obedient. And in 1 John 3, verse 20, it talks about our hearts condemning us. And I think it's a trick that the enemy will try to come in and get us off, usually start subtle, but um, it's a bad cycle, right? We know what to do. We know the right thing. This is an age-old struggle. Paul wrote about it. Know what to do. Don't do it. And then condemnation comes then we're feeling bad about ourselves, so you kind of do maybe don't make a good choice still, and you just get in this sulky frame of, frame of mind, which the Bible says is when the devil has his greatest opportunity, so we don't want to hang out there. But if we get into that, there is a cure for that to get us back into our place of boldness, which is to read, <laughs> read this verse. Even if we feel guilty, this is 1 John 3.20, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And so we know in 1 John 1, nine we ask forgiveness. I know that's a simple and really familiar principle, but it's important to do that to take care that we are not walking in any condemnation because we want to come to him with bold confidence, mm-hmm. to pray bold prayers because people need us to do that. And that's true. We're, we're not necessarily just talking about our own needs. Not, it's all important. It's not like, well, you're just being selfish, praying for yourself. We want our life to be working well. That's evidence. That's a testimony. And that draws people to the Lord. That's good. But this helps us to really get hooked up in that bigger picture and be bold in our prayers. Mm-hmm. God's looking for people that he can use. And I like that we had recently talked to another pastor from another state And I like something that he said about his church. He said, there's no unemployment in the church. (laughs) Everybody has a job. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a job. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a nursery worker or an usher or a greeter, but everybody has something that they're 
to do in the body of Christ. And guess what? One thing, and that can look different for everybody. Not everybody's going to stand up here and teach. Not everybody's going to stand up here and play drums or lead worship or run sound or know how to do all the tech stuff. Everybody has a unique gift and calling. But there's one thing that there were all called to do. And guess what that is? Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) And all these things that we're talking about, it's not just a calling. This is not a five-fold ministry calling. It's not even a body gift. You know, in Romans where he says, if you're called to serve, serve. If you're called to teach, teach. If you're called to administrate, pray. You don't see prayer in there anywhere. It is not even a body gift. It is practical Christian living. Mm -hmm. It's practical Christian living, and it's one way that all of us can hook into the plan of God and hook into the purposes of God. And if you're living a life of prayer, of praying out his plan on this earth, you will never be bored. Mm -hmm. You will never be unfulfilled. There is such a fulfillment in the whole hose thing. We've said the hose Mm -hmm. thing almost every service, but the hose always gets wet. God never uses somebody without blessing them too. And when his life is flowing through you and those rivers are flowing through you, you're going to be blessed too. And I think one thing that he's really trying to accomplish this week is to bring us all up to a higher level of expectation of what we can pray, that he'll use us to pray, that there's bold prayers to pray, and that he's got something that he wants to do. You know, the first coming of Christ did not happen without prayer attached to it. Two of my favorite characters in Luke are Anna and Simeon. And all it talks about is how they prayed and watched for the coming of Messiah. And if the first coming couldn't happen without prayer, guess what? The second coming can't happen without prayer. I love something that John, was in John Wesley that said it. Mm. Seems like God can't yep. do anything in this earth except somebody prays. Mm-hmm. It's because at, what did, Adam and Eve defaulted. Surrendered. Surrendered their authority over the kingdoms of this world to the enemy in the garden. Jesus came to get that back for us, but we have to apply it. We have to appropriate it. And Brother Hagen used to relate it to an occupying army. Mm-hmm. You know, when we went into Iraq and got some victory there, we didn't just leave. We left part of the army there to occupy it and make sure that the enemy didn't come back and take it back. And so that's what our part as the church is, is to be the occupying army for the word of God and the plan of God and the will of God to be done on this earth. He needs someone who's willing to open their mouth and say what he said to get his will or to help bring his will to pass on this earth. He is sovereign. He could could do whatever he wants to, but he chose to use us. And it is such an honor for him to use us and to say, I need you. It's like, wow, the creator of the universe needs me for something. Wow. It's very humbling and honoring at the same time, and it just makes you want to connect even more. It's a shift of responsibility because there's quite a bit that God gets blamed for that he really doesn't have anything to do with. Under this, he's God and he can do anything he wants. And he could, but he chose to follow this highly regulated system. I mean, there are things in place like free will and 
authority and he gave that back to us and that's why we really want to be students of the word to figure out what what do we have and what have we been given so that we're walking it out but it does kind of put a little fire under you in your prayer life to know there are certain things that are not going to happen unless i mean anna and simeon they contended in prayer they were in there consistently they saw there were signs that this was supposed to happen kind of similar to our day And they said, we need to pray. We see just from the timing of things and the signs of the times, this Messiah is coming. And they didn't just wait for it to happen. They knew they had a part. And that is us. That's a picture of us, really. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the example of it in Elijah's life. You know, God said, go present yourself to Ahab and it will rain. Because it hadn't rained for three years. They were in the midst of famine. And so God spoke to Elijah and said, Go present yourself to Ahab and I will send the rain. That was the word of the Lord. That was just like all these promises that we have in the Bible. And so he went to present himself to Ahab. And he did. He presented himself to Ahab. And then they had that whole contention on, the, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Remember, you present your sacrifice, I'll present mine, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So they have this huge, miraculous, you know, he saturated the sacrifice with probably the last bit of water mm. left in Jerusalem, because it hadn't, or in Israel, because it hadn't rained in so long. Mm. And God, just from heaven, brought fire, and then they killed all the prophets of Baal, these huge victories, but no rain. God never said, I'm going to consume a sacrifice by fire. His word wasn't, you're going to go kill all the prophets of Baal. His word was, it will rain. But the only thing that didn't happen was what God said. (laughs) You're like, okay, God, you said this. When are you going to do this? So what did Elijah have to do? Elijah went to the top of the mountain, bowed down with his face to the ground, and prayed. And he sent a servant, remember, go look and see if there's any evidence of the answer. And the servant comes back and says, nothing. Blue skies and sunshine. Seven times. Go back and check again. Go back and check again. Go back and check again. Finally, the seventh time he comes back, he goes where there's a teeny tiny little cloud the size of a man's hand. Like if you had bright blue skies with this cloud this size, would you think it's going to rain? But God said it. That was enough evidence for Elijah. He's like, that's it. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Tell him to gird up his loins and get to town because it's going to rain. But what did he have to do for the word of God before the word of God came to pass? He had to not just pray. He had to contend for that again and again and again. He kept his nose in the promise of God. He kept his word in the promise of God until it came to pass. And I think that's one little piece that we're missing. We're such a microwave mm-hmm. culture that w- if it doesn't come to pass in right. a day or an hour or a week, we're just like over it. Well, I guess I missed it. Mm-hmm. But there's a side to it. Again, do we pray short? Do we pray long? Do we speak in authority? Do we contend in prayer? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's each situationally appropriate. And that's why we need to abide in the vine to be completely led by led by the Holy Spirit on that. That's the answer to a million questions, be led. <laughs> it still is. It still is. It'll keep more.
He is good. You know, we got we were over in Mark 11, and if we go on to read that, it talks about our state of our heart with others. So we're forgiven and forgiving, and that is a big one. I mean, there's a warning that our prayers aren't heard or effective. So it's something to look at. Um, and then in First Timothy 2.8, it says, I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And a lot of times I, I'll do that in, just because of an awareness of the busyness of our society and the instant, the everything, is sometimes often in my kitchen I'll just stop and lift up my hands just to surrender, just to remember this is the position I'm living from. Even with all the noise, we're just going to, it's like a bold stand. I'm going to stop and lift up my hands holy hands, because we've been made holy, without wrath and doubting. So the wrath of God, satisfied in Jesus, so we're righteous, that position of righteousness. And then we, have, we don't have that wrath towards others, because we're forgiven and forgiving. And I think it's so good to just continually be doing a heart check and making sure. And it's really good just when a person comes up, you can tell if you've got a little something in your heart against someone. And sometimes I'll think, well, how'd that get there? What, what's that a holdover from? And so it's, it doesn't have to be a big deal. I just believe that anytime the Holy Spirit reveals something like that, there's a grace right then. It's not a, I got to work on this for a while and hopefully I can get over it and my feelings. That really doesn't matter. Your feelings will follow your faith and your obedience to him. So we're forgiven and we're forgiving others. And it just keeps us, it's all those kind of little ingredients to keep us in a place of effectiveness. Because we're standing before God and we do approach him with boldness, but he is God. He's to be revered and honored and feared in a way that he's mighty. I mean, the whole reason we're praying is because we have acknowledged we can't do this. <laughs> and we're going to go to someone who can maybe do this. And in a lot of these cases, he's it. It's not a, that he's a last resort. It's just an acknowledgement. God's the only one that can change this. Our nation, there's no one we can call. <laughs> I think you said that. There isn't. I mean, maybe you may be enthusiastic about a candidate or maybe not, but it really doesn't matter. There isn't a person or a human that could fix it. So that's why we're praying in the first place, and it's just good to relate to him in, in that way with a, a right, right heart. That's all I had written down. Do you have anything I else? know I had those little bullet points. I know that um, we might have questions. Yeah, we wanted, I wanted to just talk about position and stuff. And just as a final reminder... Um, just kind of as why we need to pray and use our authority. We are, you know, Jesus' hands and feet and mouth on this earth. Mm. And he's given us authority. In Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so you go. And he didn't just turn around and say, so I transfer authority to you. He didn't have to do that. You know why? Because he's the head and we're the body. And they have the same identity. They have the same authority. So he didn't have to turn around and say, just because I have it and I'm giving it to you, mm -hmm. we have it by virtue of being in him. And so um, I just want to remind us not only that we can, we are his body and we are to be him on this earth. And when we look at situations, we're supposed to say, what would Jesus say? 
not just what would Jesus do, but when we're going into prayer, we need to treat it as though Jesus were right here speaking to this. What would Jesus be speaking to this situation? Would he be putting up with it? Or would he be commanding it? Or what would he be doing with it? And guess where you find out what Jesus would say? Mm-hmm. In the word, because it's full of red. <laughs> I like the red words. <laughs> the red words are what Jesus said. Yeah. But I just wanted to end with John 10.10. 10. Mm-hmm. We keep going back to it over and over. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so what is the Jesus? What is, what is the Jesus? What is the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy? He's trying to kill, steal, kill, steal, kill and destroy that abundant life so we can't walk in it. And kill means murder, or steal means steal, but kill doesn't mean murder. Kill means, or surrender. Mm-hmm. And so what the enemy's trying us to get us to do, I cannot talk. I really <laughs> Your know turn. What, you mean. what the Thank enemy's you. trying to get us to do is surrender, surrender our rights like Adam and Eve did in the garden. They mm-hmm. surrendered their right to rule and to reign on this earth. And so what the enemy does is he plays with the mind up here and he arranges things out here. That's all he has to work with. He has no power over us that we don't give over to him. He would have had no power on this earth if Adam and Eve would have held tight to theirs. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's always trying to do is get us to surrender what God has already given us, Mm -hmm. what God has already promised and what God has already provided. And if we yield and if we don't pray and if we don't use our authority, we surrender it over to him by default. Mm -hmm. And we've said that I think almost every service, but it's so true. And we need to remember when we keep our mouth shut, he wins by default. Mm -hmm. You have whatever you say. And it's really good to not say bad things. But when you don't say anything, then you get that too. You get. You say nothing, you get nothing. Right. (laughs) Whatever you say. So we don't want to surrender over what God has already provided for us. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Do you have anything else? No, I just keep thinking about that, that I think sometimes we think, well, he has just a little bit of power. He was, the enemy was completely stripped of all of his power. He is nothing. And we can make him bigger sometimes in our eyes, but he's got nothing. That's why it's important to meditate on who we are and, and not surrender and recognize that that's the tactic is, um, typically it's, it's not one big tragedy. It's kind of like a constant, like a heavy pounding, continual barrage of little things until we're worn down. You think about armies that surrender. It's usually after, you know, supplies are down, we're tired, we're, it's a combination of factors. And finally it's just like, we're done. So don't get to that point. We've got to keep ourselves stirred up and knowing who we are, not surrender. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Does anybody have any questions? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, we will. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I love John 15 so much. If you abide in me, that word can also be translated 
transplanted. What is wrong with me? <laughs> Too much blueberry crumb cake. Yeah, oh, I don't make it. fun of you. That, I love you. That must be it. Um, that word abide can also be translated remain. And if it's good to, to bump your vitamin C intake when you're starting to feel tired and weak, it's good to bump your faith intake on healing mm-hmm. when you're feel, you know, going through a situation. But if we don't remain, mm-hmm. then we just get a little weak and we get a little weary. But it's not... And then you surrender by default. You surrender because you're just too tired to fight anymore. It's not you mm-hmm. saying, oh, I give up and I don't trust God. It's just you saying, I cannot do it mm-hmm. anymore. White flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm done. So it's purposeful, that remaining in the vine. Mm-hmm. It's very purposeful. And like when Jesus, when John, John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus' sweet cousin whom he loved was beheaded. The disciples were getting back from a ministry trip at that time. They were barraged to the point of not having time to eat. And Jesus was grieving. And he's like, enough is enough. We're going to get away. And he shut the door on the people, put his disciples in the boat, and headed across the sea. Mm-hmm. Enough is enough. We're tired. We need to rest. Jesus was limited to a flesh and blood body. Mm-hmm. And he had to rest. He knew he had limitations there. And so they got to the other side and people had heard their plan and were waiting for them. So then Jesus had compassion on them and then they ministered to them in their tired state. And then they didn't have enough food and the disciples were like, hey, we're we're hungry over there. And we came all the way over here and now we're tired and even more hungry. So let's seem like we're not selfish and tell Jesus to send the people home because they're hungry. Mm. Oh, Lord, they need to go eat something. We care about these people. (laughs) They need to go eat something. And Jesus didn't go, oh, that's right, you're tired and hungry. No, he turned to them and said, do some more work. You Mm. feed them. And in the midst of that, of that tired and hungry and desperate position, he worked a miracle through his tired and hungry and weary disciples. And as soon as everybody was fed, he made sure they went and had some quiet time. Mm-hmm. And he went up to the mountain alone and prayed. Mm-hmm. And on the way to their quiet time, the storm came up. <laughs> and it was the same thing, barrage after barrage after barrage. But every time they turned around, Jesus was there. Because mm-hmm. they got stuck in the middle of the lake and Jesus came out to them. And then Peter walked on the water and <laughs> then they went on their retreat. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is easy, barrage after barrage after barrage, to let go of the vine. Mm-hmm. We are not supposed to do vine calisthenics. Not supposed to be in and out, <laughs> in and out. Although that's good for your hips, it's not so good for your heart, <laughs> your soul. Mm-hmm living a refreshed life in him. Mm -hmm. And the way to to really stay out of that, number one, is to not isolate yourself, which the mask will do. Remember we did that unmasked challenge. That was good. That was my first thought, no isolation. And even though you're around people and you're going to church Mm -hmm. and you're doing your thing, when you're Mm -hmm. behind a mask, you are isolating yourself Mm. from the, the healing part of the body. 
Because if you just be real with people and say, listen, I am struggling, somebody's going to have a word for you or an encouragement or pick it up in prayer or carry you in prayer and help carry you through that. Mm -hmm. So isolation, avoiding isolation is key to kind of remaining in the vine there. Mm -hmm. I, we have to know ourselves. Like, I, I think that we know, you know, you said you're really fired up and really in your word. I think for me, like, I know when there's some warning signs, like, you're not just tired. This is like, this could get bad. You need to call so-and-so and get stirred up. You need to, even if it's not dire, it's just on purpose. Let's listen to a good podcast and really get something in and recognize how far gone is it. And he designed us. It's not like I've failed. He designed us to be connected. So that's good. And, um, and even sometimes if you reach out and people don't identify you're reaching out, keep on reaching out. <laughs> Cause you know, that's a risk to say, I'm struggling. I'm tired. I've had to do that before. And then I thought, I thought I said it, but maybe I didn't get the response I was looking for. And if I'm honest, it's probably cause we don't, I don't really want to be that transparent. I'm hoping they just get it. <laughs> we'll just <Yeah>. quick <laughs> taking over and move on. So that's, that's the strength of the body is that connectedness. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've got, I've got two questions. Okay. I wasn't here, able to be here on Thursday night. Explain to me what abiding means in praying, okay? If you're not abiding as strongly as you should. Uh, oh, what abiding is because you weren't here Thursday. And I'm... We'll give a quick snippet because it was a long teaching. And you, it's on the podcast. It's on the website. You can get a CD if you want to listen to the whole thing. But the gist of abiding is that relational side of prayer. We are more concerned sometimes about the output. And we're going to pray for this. And I'm going to pray for your healing. And I'm going to pray for my leaders. And I'm going to pray for this. And that's the rivers of living water that... Jesus spoke about in John 7, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And so that abiding part is the drinking in. We get so concerned about the output and not so concerned about the input that the riverbed dries up. And so when that happens, you're not connected. And John 15 is kind of where he talks about abiding in the vine. So that'd be a good place to go soak in tonight where he talks about I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you abide in me, my word abides in you. So it's that continuous connection through the word and through the spirit to the rivers of, of living water that flow from the throne. So your question is, question where is, does contending come in and how does it balance out with the prayer of faith? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. So there's different kinds of prayers. So we have the prayer of faith that we see the problem, we find a promise of God, and we see this applies, and we just say, Lord, I believe I receive when I pray, Mark 11, and we're done. And we really wouldn't ask again because we believe we received it. So if I receive this notebook, I'm not going to keep asking for it. But then there are things, um, a really great example I can think of is just a friend that I've stood in faith with for years for her son who'd walked away from the Lord temporarily. He's coming back. We have lifted him up 
I, I've lost count how many times because we look at that situation, it's not changing, but we are asking and contending. And we know that God's heard every prayer that we prayed, but we're standing and we're, we're not backing off of anything that we believe. And what's really beautiful, I think, about that kind of prayer is you, you get in there with the Lord and you're really, it's that, um, I said in Isaiah, let us plead together. So we're making a case with the Lord and we're continuing in faith in this situation. So we do ask again and again, and he said to be persistent. So that keeps us from, from giving up because some situations don't change overnight and we do contend. So there's that prayer of faith. There's the prayer of consecration that we can pray over and over again, where we surrender, not my will, but your will be done. And so it's like those different rules apply to different kinds of prayer. If you want to add anything to the contending part, especially when it comes to praying for people, because you're, you know, prayer is not witchcraft, right? right. I mean, I'm I'm not meaning to be funny either, because sometimes we get into this little thing that I can just change them. I can change them. But when we pray for people, mm-hmm. especially contending for people's hearts, mm-hmm. it, it's every time I, I like to look at it like every time I pray, it opens the door for God to move in their life today. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I prayed for them yesterday. And yeah, I prayed for them this morning. But do I want God to move again in their life right now? Yeah. Father, could you do that again? Could you just open the eyes of their understanding Amen. again this afternoon? How about you just send the rain on their heart again? How about you just soften it up a little bit more again? And that's kind of the contending. He promised me my whole house would be saved. And there are people in my family that I have yet to see come into the kingdom. And every day, He told me one time, you love them, you're going to be on your knees for them a lot. That's Mm -hmm. what love looks like when you're talking Mm -hmm. about people. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's kind of where that comes in. You see a promise in the word. You know, he promised to pour out the early and the latter rain. Well, I'm going to contend for that because I have not seen that yet. The miracles, the signs, and the wonders. I'm going to contend for those because I haven't seen those yet, mm-hmm. which is different, like she said, than, than that prayer of faith that you pray, you believe you receive, and you have it, kind of for a healing in your body or something like that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have any questions, comments? I have one yes. Yeah. Because it goes down to relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 